Ephesians 5, please. We're going to be in Ephesians 5, starting with verse 21. And then you can kind of put your finger or however you do it on your smartphone or smart device over in 1 Peter 3, okay? And this this message is called Unlocking the Heart of Your Spouse. Unlocking the Heart of Your Spouse. This is for you, whether you're married or single. You know, we're in this marriage series, and, and sometimes as pastors, we get a little bit worried about doing a marriage series because we have single people in our, in our congregation. But this is what I want. No matter where you're at, this message is for you. Because if you're single, there's principles in here in how you relate to the Lord. And if you're single who wants to be married, then this is a time to prepare yourself. Right now is a time to prepare yourself. So I want to say several things at the beginning. And the first is God has a perfect plan for marriage. And you have a 100% chance of success in marriage. And if anyone has ever told you, you only have 50% chance. If any, everybody, anybody's ever said, you're not going to make it, it's not true. Because God says, I made marriage and I don't make mistakes. And the reason why marriages are failing is we've rejected the word of God. And if you'll go back to God's word, if you'll go back to God's word, you have a 100% chance of marriage. In Ephesians chapter 5, it's his perfect plan for marriage. It's the most revelatory text in anywhere in the world about marriage. And this is really the only place in the Bible. The Bible has a lot to say about relationships. The Bible has a lot to say about marriage. But this is really the only place in the Bible that the drapes are pulled back and we see God's mystery. God's perfect plan for the marriage is exposed here. So I'm going to read it to you, and we're going to start in verse 21. And it's going to, if, if you're one of those people, that you're like, it's, this is a, a complete sentence. Okay, get ready, because this is an incomplete sentence. We're going to start with an incomplete sentence. But it's so important that you hear this from the start, because our culture has spoken so much into this. We need to hear this. But verse 21, an incomplete sentence, says this. It says, submitting to one another. Hear that. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now listen to me, this is very important. Men and women are equals. Say that with me, okay? Because I know when you start to hear these verses, you're going to be like, wait a second, Brian, wait. So men and women are equals, ready? So men and women are equals. That was pretty good, okay? We'll come back to that. But hang on that, okay? As we get into this scripture, hang on to that. And the Bible, it says for women to submit, right? But it also says for men to submit. In this place, we find husbands Submit to your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. You see, Jen and I have been married for 10 years. It just, we just had an anniversary. I know for a lot of you, that's not very long. Thanks, that's cool. Yeah, I, it's cool. That's not very long. But Jen and I have never had to sit down and have a discussion who the boss is in our marriage. Because the boss in our marriage is Jesus Christ. And you see, here's the deal. What we don't understand about marriage and what most Christians don't understand about marriage is there's an unseen party in your marriage. Marriage is a picture of God. You're made in the image of God. Marriage is in the image of God. It's a trinity. God is in your marriage. And Jesus is the head of your marriage. And he's the unseen person in your marriage. How would that change you if you started to believe that? If you started to recognize that? So here's the deal. Let's go ahead and start reading. So verse 21, we already said it. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as is the Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Okay, just right there, did you hear a word that in our culture is bad, right? It said that men are the, what? The head of the wife. 
But I want to show you what that picture is. See, when we think of head, we think of boss, right? We think of pushing somebody down, right, when we think of head. But it's actually a picture of a source or the head of a water, of a spring. That what the head does is it allows it, the water, it comes out, it pushes up at the source. And that's what this is a picture of. You see, let's think about the Trinity just for a second. We have what? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're equal, yet they have different functions. It's the same with marriage. The Bible calls the functions headship, the roles headship. And this verse talks about being the man being the head of woman. But here's what that is a picture of. I just said it. It's a source, the head of a water spring. The head is drawn out of the source of water. So Jesus and the Holy Spirit draw from the Father. They are equally important, but function differently within the relationship. And hear this, yet are only successful with each other. They are a team, equal in position, but separate in function, or we could say separate in roles. So here we go. So with that in mind, think of the Hebsman as being the header source of a spring of water. A spring of water pushes water out of the ground. The function of the husband is to get under his wife and push her up to be the best that she is in Christ. And men, that's what Jesus does for you. Because of every man, the head is Jesus. And what he's concerned about is you being the best you can for God and how he's created you to be. Not to push her down. His and her success depends on his obedience to partner with Jesus to be her source. And we'll come back to that. I just gave you point two, but we'll come back to this. So let me keep reading. So verse 24, Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Verse 27, That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Here we go to verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes that. Underline those words. And if it's not in your version, you need to write those things. Nourishes and cherishes her. We're going to come back to that. Those were very, very important. Just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, and here, this is where you need to underline, underline this, highlight this, whatever you've got to do. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife, underline that. Husbands, love your wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband's. Men need what? Respect. Women need love. And it's in the Bible. It's right there. And we're going to explore that a little bit more. So again, this is the most important text in the world concerning marriage. But Christians generally don't like this, right? In fact, probably the most unpopular thing to preach on is tithing. But this is pretty close, right? And there's something in our sin nature that kicks back when we hear these things. It's like, well, no, it couldn't be because then I'll lose my freedom. Then I won't be independent. Then I won't be who God created me to be. But hold on, okay? You see, I think one of the reasons why this is unpopular is we like what it says about our spouse, but we don't like what it says about us, right? Right? Everybody's like, 
You're like, you're feeling it, but not feeling it. You're like, you're right, you're right. You know, because if there's one verse that a man knows, he might not know the Bible. And this is not even just, just Christians, but he knows this verse. Well, you're supposed to submit to me. You see how that goes, all right? All right, because I know some strong Christian women, man, and they'll throw you down, all right? Don't do that. And there's other verses in the Bible, just a heads up. But I think the second thing is we fear to be the first one to do it. It says to submit to each other. And we fear to be the first one to do it. Right? I, I do. Right? You know, if you're a woman, I'm going to totally stereotype here, but if you're a woman, you say, I'd submit to my husband as to the Lord. If he acted anything like Jesus, he acts more like the devil. I'm on a mission from God to keep that man humble. You know? And men... If I show my wife any weakness, I'll be doing housework all night while she's sipping herbal tea in the bathtub with the bubbles flowing over with those pumice stones. What are those things? And they're floating around and stuff. See, I, I can't be strong. I can't show weakness. You don't know my wife. She's the devil's ex-wife. You know, sorry, sorry. I just, you know, we had to go there. But see, when you are a pastor or when you read this, there's shell back when we hear this verse in Ephesians 5. But let me tell you, there is no plan B. There is no plan B. And God has a perfect design. And those deepest fears of not being independent. When you do this, you find freedom of who God created you to be. And you will excel and grow. So, all right, the first one, let's get into it. The roles in Ephesians 5 make us attractive to our spouse and cause them to open their hearts to us. Ladies... We hear all the time, man, if my man would just open his heart to me. But ladies, sometimes you want to rush in there and redecorate, right? Right? You need to see a man's heart as a sacred thing. If he opens his heart to you, don't redecorate. Don't criticize. Go in in a sacred space and see God designed that heart in a certain way. So anyways, they make us more attractive. This is not, we're not reading about a religious ball and chain here. This is the keys to your spouse's hearts. And they will not open their hearts to you unless you do this. And it will change your marriage. So let's start off with men. The number one need is respect. It's our mega need. About every other thing in life, above everything else, we need respect. And I want to use a different word. And guys, you'll like this because I immediately heard gladiator in my head. But we need honor. Respect and honor are the same thing, but we need that. It's our mega need. We need that. So let me read First Peter. This is really talking to women. Now hold on, ladies. Hold on tight, okay? Stay with me. Remember I talked about it's submitting to each other, right? We're equal, but different in function, okay? So just stay with me, okay? Because what I love about our church, we got some strong women in here, right? And I love that. Hold on. Just hold on, okay? So First Peter says this, wives... Now he's talking to wives. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste, that means pure, and respectful behavior. There's our word respect again. And this is in First Peter now. Now here we go on. Do not let your adornment be merely outward. It's okay to dress up. It's all right. But listen, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting fine apparel... Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of, catch this, a gentle and quiet spirit, 
a gentle and quiet spirit. Just as a side note, just as a side note, there's a verse in Isaiah that says that quietness and confidence is our salvation. This isn't just talking to women right here. This is how the attitude of our spirit of faith in our God is supposed to be. So listen to this gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner in former times, the holy women of old who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Don't go home and call your man Lord. He will love it, and I know you don't want to. So that was a custom, all right? Whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror, any terror. A gentle, quiet spirit. See, a man's greatest need is respect. It's respect. And of course, Ephesians ends by saying, respect your husbands. And here Peter is saying, you can change your husbands without a word. Without a word, as he observes your pure and respectful behaviors. Listen, ladies, respect is so powerful in the life of a man that it will change his behavior for the person who gives it to him. It is that powerful for a man. It's his most powerful need, and it will make you attractive. In fact, it says it's precious inside of God. And many women will say, well, I don't have that mousy, gentle, quiet personality. I'm not a doormat, Brian. I'm a strong woman. That's cool. I hear you, sister. It's all right. I hear you. But hear this. A gentle and quiet spirit is not the spirit of a beat-down, mousy woman. A gentle and quiet spirit is the opposite of a rough and loud, and it's a spirit of a godly woman who has faith in her God that is powerful enough to change her husband. It is trusting that God is greater than her husband. Here's a question for you. Who's the enforcer? Ladies, you or the Holy Spirit? Say what you need to say, but don't enforce it because that's God's role in our marriage. Remember, he's the third party in your marriage. If you try to enforce things, it will go south quickly. So here's what you do. Are you ready, ladies? This is a lean-in moment. This is what you do. Okay, this is a lean-in moment, ladies. You can just you know, lean in just for a second, then you can lean back. So what you do is you go to your man and you say, you know, whatever your man's name is, you say, baby, you know I love you, and you're a hunk of hunk of burning love, and if you're lying about the hunk of burning love, that's all right, Jesus will forgive you. And, and, and you say, look, I don't like this and this and this, and I, I don't think we should do this and this and this. But you know what, baby? I love you, and you're a hunk of burning love, and I'm going to respect that. And then what you do is you go into your prayer closet, and you get with Jesus, and this is what you do. You be gentle in person, but you be violent in prayer. Because without a word, you can change that man. If you will get on your knees and take it to Jesus, he's the enforcer. The Holy Spirit's the enforcer. And he will change your man. He will change him. So try that out. Hunk of burning love. Jen is here. Hunk of burning love. Just remember that, all right? Because clearly, clearly, clearly. But here's it is. Be gentle in person and violent in prayer. It's a promise. Without a word, your husband may be difficult. He may be disobedient to the word. But you can change him as he observes your chaste and respectful behavior. But here is the best part. You want to close that intimacy gap? You know that gap? You're like, man, I just wish we could be here, but we're way out here. This is the deal. When you're respecting him, you become more attractive to him. And he will be drawn to you. It closes the gap of intimacy. 
So, all right, so men need respect. What is the number one need for, for women? The number one need is security, and it says nourish and cherish, and we'll get to that, but it's security. See, the Bible says a man should lay down his life for her just as Jesus did for the church. A sacrificial husband nourishing and cherishing his wife. Guys, I listen to how men speak about their lives, their wives. I listen to these things. I like to hear how men speak about and speak to their wives. And oftentimes it's kind of derogatory. So I've got a question for you. What if Jesus talked to you how you talk to your wife? Because he's your head. He's your source. Is he pushing you down or is he pushing you up? You see, here's the deal, and this is for men and women. She needs a lover, not a parent. And ladies, it's the same thing. Your man needs a lover, not a parent. And some of you might say, well, well she's the, the weaker vessel. Well, you're the meeker vessel. You know what meekness is? The meekness and gentleness of Christ. It's strength under control. And it's a powerful horse that has a bit in its mouth. Be the meeker vessel, men. Build up your wife. All right, so is it true that security is what makes a man so attractive to a woman. So a man is supposed to nourish and cherish her, like we said. So let me give you some research. There was one done at the University of Washington. They asked, when is your husband most attractive to you? Okay, And there was several of these studies, and they confirmed the same thing. So when is your, your husband most attractive to you? And this is what the, the top answer was. And if it's different from you, that's cool. But the top answer was when they're doing housework. When they're doing housework. Okay, keep that in your mind, okay? So then they did a study of the effects of male sweat on women, okay? Several universities, Pennsylvania State, University of California, and others came with the same result. What they did, hold on ladies, when you hear this. So they took male sweat and applied it to the upper lip of a woman. Now, obviously they didn't tell them it was male sweat. They said it was a household product. And later, when the women found out that's what they did to them, there were some researchers that died a, a very painful death that day, okay? <laughs> But for men's sake, we, we appreciate them taking one for the team, okay? Okay? So they took the sweat, they applied it, to, and they, they hooked them up to wires to see what physiologically they registered the effects of male sweat on women. And this is what they found. In every subject, when women are under the influence of male sweat, they relax, they get happy, and they feel romantic. Security. Security. Now look, I'm not talking about the dude that needs the right guard immediately, Okay? All right? I'm not talking about that guy, all right? So that, if that's you and you're like, man, I don't have to take a shower for three weeks. No, 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 that's not you. But guys, let's review this, okay? So they asked them, when is your husband most attractive to you? And what did women say when he's doing housework? And then they studied the effects of male sweat on women. It was very positive. So let me give you a rundown and an interpretation to all the husbands here, okay? You are just a clean house away from the night of your dreams, my friends. <laughs> so what you need to do is you go clean that house, and while she's sitting right there, and you've got some grapes for her, and you're fanning her, you know, every so often, you walk by, you let her smell you, then you go clean the house again. <laughs> then you go clean the house again, okay? But this is the point. See, what God tells us to do makes us more attractive to the opposite sex. The roles in Ephesians make us more attractive to each other. But here's the deal, guys. Don't expect sex. We expect sex all the time, right? I mean, women are on the couch and they see us coming. They're like, oh, here he comes. 
It's true. But strive to do the things to promote her security. And ladies, understand a man's need for sex. It's his second major need. I debate that. I'm kind of thinking maybe it's the first. You know, maybe respect and honor a second. I don't know. It's, it's, it's pretty fuzzy. But listen to this. Corinthians 7.4 The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Now, men, I know you're like, well, my wife can have authority over my body anytime. You know, okay, okay. But this is about submitting. This is about submitting. It means laying down your rights of ownership mutually. And that has to do with our bodies. Ladies, the key to his heart is sex. First, it's respect and honor. Second, it's sex. Here's the secret. He will feel more connected to you. You want him to feel connected to you? He will feel more connected to you. But here's why you don't, you're like, I don't understand that. I just don't get that. So in that same study, they, they said, okay, men, your, your second greatest need is sex. Do you know where it ranks for the women? Number 13, right under gardening. <laughs> what? And we wonder why we wrestle with these things, why there's so much miscommunication in our marriages. It's because apparently gardening is... <laughs> I won't, never mind. I won't go there. But, but understand, ladies, men are not pervs. They're not perversions of nature. They are wired this way by God. And he says sex is holy. And Satan has done a great job of building walls between women and their husbands for the purpose of obstructing sexual intimacy. The enemy knows how important sex is to a marriage, and he will stop at nothing to keep you from having a healthy sex life. It is true. God created it. But guys, don't forget, women rank sex below gardening. So maybe, get ready guys, I'm going to say a word that I don't understand. It's this foreign language, okay? Brian knows what it is because he read a little bit of this the other day. But, but men, don't forget, women rank sex below gardening. Maybe instead of grabbing her childishly expecting sex, we need to learn the art of non-sexual touch. I said it. And I know some of you are like, what is this? This does not compute non-sexual touch. You know, you're like, what is that? It's not in our vocabulary. It's like speaking Portuguese. But guys, we've got to learn the art of emotional intimacy. She has authority over your body. And what she needs from you is to communicate more than three words and a grunt. <clears throat> she needs more than three words and a grunt. Guys, you can never... Okay, I had the women lean in. Lean in, men. Lean in. Just show me and then you can go back. Okay, lean in. Lean in for reals. All right. Females bear God's emotional image. They are passionate, empathetic, intuitive, and sensitive. Where are the women? You should be like, amen. What is up? There's a man actually saying this? What? But here's what you need to hear. They have all those things, and they're made as image, just like God is. And there's some godly men we have in this church. We have some amazing godly men and this is why I want you to lean in because you can never know and understand God fully unless you learn to connect on an emotional level they have a part of the image of God you do not have 
you need to learn this. Some of my best times with Jen, we have a basketball goal. It's all like crooked and all this other stuff. But my, my favorite things is just Jen and I will go and shoot hoop. She comes out. I feel sorry for the woman. She has carpal tunnel and she's on her feet all day, but she goes out and she'll shoot hoop with me. We're not like, you know, it's not like this aggressive, crazy thing, but we're shooting hoop. And the whole time we're talking. We're just talking. Or we'll go on the back porch on our swing and we'll talk. I call her backboard Jen because she always beats me because I'm trying to get the swoosh and she's like, boom, the, the thing's like going like this, but it gets in every time. But we spend these times together and she knows it's something I love to do, but it also meets her need for intimate conversation. So you have authority over each other's bodies. And again, guys, I know you're like, she can have authority over my body anytime. But be about her first. And ladies, he needs sex. Got it? Cool. All right. The roles in Ephesians 5 release the potential in our spouse. Guys, in a Christian marriage, both the husband and wife should reach their full potential. God looked down at Adam and saw he was alone and said, that's not good. He will never reach his potential alone. It's true. Men are dramatically better off with women in their lives. They live longer because women make you eat healthy stuff. And they make you to walk around the neighborhood and stuff like that, you know. But they are in our lives for a reason. Here's the deal. You will never reach your potential. Guys, we are created to storm the mountains, right? But some of the loneliest men in the world are the ones who are successful, who have stormed the mountain. They look back and it's damage control they can't even recover from because their wives and their families are scattered nowhere to be seen. And God said it is not good for man to be alone. See, Ephesians 5 says we are to nourish and cherish our wives. And those are agricultural terms. The word nourish means to feed to maturity. It means to enrich her life, add value that God sees in her. And the word cherish means to protect, to keep warm, secure. See, the role of every husband is to be God's partner, to bring his wife to her full potential. That's what Jesus does for you. And women independent of man, that's what Jesus does for her too. But you're to be his partner. This is the question. Why did God make her in her mother's womb? She is fearfully and wonderfully made. See, we don't realize that we're here to help her reach her full potential. That's what headship does. That's what a source does. It pushes her up to be all that she can be in Christ. That's what Jesus does. But if we think in chauvinistic terms, guys, if we think, you know, she's not my equal, and, and by the way, I'm Mr. Wonderful, and, and, you know, she's along for the ride. She's just here just to be a part of that. We will never understand God's design. We will never understand it, and we will never become God's partners. See, God wants to pop that bubble, and he wants men to realize they are married to the most precious person on earth. So I'm going to put it in terms of my marriage, okay? Ten years ago, I became God's partner to find out why he made Jen Stiverson in her mother's womb. What is her purpose, and how can she achieve it in Christ? Is it to be a stay-at-home mom or an astrophysicist? I don't know what it is, but I'm going to lay down my life for her, so even if I don't make it, she's going to make it. Because, guys, we will stand before God and take account. And you'll ask us, where are you their source? What would you answer? One day you will stand before God and give account of those most precious 
things he gave you, and that's your wife. A sacred trust, men, the most precious gift you've been given, the most important stewardship you've been given. And before I count for anything, my children, my ministry, my work, my money, before all that, I will stand before Jesus Christ, and he will ask me what I did with Jennifer Stiverson. And if it was all about me, and I didn't take care of her, I'm going to be ashamed. Or if I could say, yes, Lord, I partnered with you so she could become whatever you wanted her to be. Guys, a woman is called a helper in Genesis. Don't get offended, ladies. Let me tell you what it means in Hebrew. Because when we hear helper, we mean she's behind me, right? But in Hebrew, it means she's walking right alongside of you. It's the same word that God uses about himself. That's an honor. But men, we're here to help her reach her potential. And when you find you do that, you reach your potential too. You're walking side by side. Listen to this. In 1 Corinthians, it says this. It says that man is the image and the glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. Let me give you a paraphrase of that. It's hard to understand. Men reflect the character of the God they choose, and women reflect the character of the husband they choose. Think about that, because there's so many men in here, you're like, man, if my woman was just, if she was a little more spiritually mature, if she didn't make dumb decisions, we talk like that as men, but she's a reflection of you. If you change who you are in Christ, she's going to change, because she'll reflect you, and she will blossom like a rose. You think her issues aren't your issues? They aren't your fault? She's a reflection of you, men. Jen is a reflection of me. There's an old story. Happened in the, the Polynesian Islands in the Pacific. And it's this guy named Johnny Lingo. And so I don't know when this happened. You know, it was a while back because some of the customs are, are, are way off. But Johnny Lingo, he lived in, in, this, in this island. And it was very poor. But Johnny Lingo was very successful. And he was looking to get married. He was like the bachelor of the island, the Polynesian bachelor. So I don't know if they had the show, but that's what he'd be doing. But he was looking to get married. And so one day, you know, he was like, well, what am I going to do? And he saw somebody. He said, that's it. But you see, in those times, what they did is that you went to the mom and dad and you brought a cow with you. And you basically said, I, I want to ask for her hand in marriage. Here's what I'm willing to give you. And that was riches, okay? So you're exchanging riches. So not a custom we do, but listen up. So he gives a custom. So most marriages were, were like a one cow, you know, marriage kind of thing. But if it was a four cows, that's like a trophy wife, man. I mean, it was like, wow, you've given a lot of your wealth away, okay, to have this woman. So one day, there's this guy named Moko, and Moko is just, just mean, belligerent, nobody likes this guy kind of guy. Nobody likes him at all. And he has a daughter named Mahala, and Mahala is abused by this man just verbally and, and mentally abused by her. And, and she's not an attractive girl. And she slumps over and her hair's disheveled in her face and she wears just, just clothes and you just, there's no way. And, and, and Moko was like, I'm never going to get this woman married. And he pretty much said that to her. You're trash. You're never going to get out of here. But one day he hears a knock at the door. And he opens the door and it's Johnny Lingo. And he's kind of like, what are you doing here? What do you want, Johnny? He said, I came to ask for Mahalo's hand in marriage. Oh, well, this is a joke. You get out of here, man. He said, no. I, I came, I'm, I'm, I want to ask for her hand. He said, well, how much are you going to give me then? 
And, you know, Moko's thinking, man, I'll, I'll be good to get one cow out of this. I mean, I may be getting some chickens or something. I don't know. Johnny says, eight cows. Get out of here, Johnny. And now I know you're joking. No, 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 no. Look, look right there. There's eight cows. Eight cows right there. He said, are you serious? Yeah. And so, he, you know, they made the exchange and Mahalo goes off with Johnny and suddenly Moko, this abusive, evil guy, is one of the richest, wealthiest guys in the island. He has eight cows now. But he can't enjoy his wealth because it bothers him. It chips away at him. It gnaws at him that why would Johnny, who could have gotten Mahala for one cow, give eight cows? Why would he do that? And for two years, he doesn't see them, and it's gnawing on him, and he's trying to figure this out. And so he says, finally, I can't take it anymore. I've got to go talk to Johnny. So what he does is they lived across on the other island. He hadn't seen her in two years. So he goes over to the other side of the island. He knocks on the door, and he opens the door. And when he opens the door, he sees this beautiful woman black hair, just flowing, flowers in her hair, dark skin, beautiful dress on that shows how amazing, beautiful she is. Her face is glowing. She stands up straight and her shoulders are back. He doesn't even know who she is. She says, hello, Daddy. And he's like, Mahala? Yeah. And at first he's like, what's going on? He says, go get me Johnny right now. I said, okay. So Johnny comes to the door and looks at Mocha and Mocha says, look, it's been gnawing at me for two years. Why, when you got Mahala for one cow, did you spend eight cows? It doesn't even make sense. You could have gotten her for one. What are you doing? What are you thinking? It's killing me. Tell me the truth, Johnny. What's the deal? He said, Mocha, it's very simple. I just always wanted an eight-cow wife. Later, when Johnny was talking to a friend that day, he said, you know, the most important thing in my life is for Mahala to wake up every day and know she's the most valuable woman on this island. That somebody said, you're worth it and you're precious and I see things in you. And have somebody speak that into her life. And that she always remembers that she was worth that much. You see, in the presence of a father who did not cherish her, she was a beaten down, unattractive woman who never achieved anything in life. But in the presence of Johnny, she flourished. Men, the Bible says you cherish her. You cherish her and you nurture her. And you speak value into her life. You want to live with the lioness of God? You want a mighty woman of God who has fully become? Then you speak value to her as her source. And she will flourish. The job of every man is to lay down your life for her. You're married to God's daughter and she's an eight cow woman. And she needs you to hear that. And forgive me for saying eight cow woman because you're worth a lot more than that. But it's a Polynesian term. So God's role for men is to nourish and cherish their wives. And in that environment, they become. They become in an atmosphere of value and security. But for men, they flourish in an atmosphere of respect. See, ladies, here's the secret. Honor him where you want him to be, not where he is. No matter where your man's at. Even if he's a successful man, wherever he's at, whether you're young, married, old, it doesn't matter. 
Honor him where you want him to be, not where he's at. Let me show you this. How many of you guys remember a verse in Proverbs 31? It's, it's about a, a woman in Proverbs 31, a P31 woman. And man, this is an amazing woman. Anybody ever says, I mean, the Bible just kicks women down. Take them to Proverbs 31. It's crazy. It's so awesome when you read about that woman in there. But I want to read something to you. It lists all these attributes, but it says something very interesting. It says, her husband is an elder at the gates of the city. But see, in the Hebrew, it's not attributing it to him. It's only partially attributing the fact that he's there. It's saying it's attributing it to her. Her behavior towards him produced an elder. She treated him like an elder before he was an elder. Honor him. Honor him. Respect him. See, part of respect is to encourage him and praise him. Men need an attaboy, right, guys? We thrive on an attaboy. Encourage him and praise him. And now, this part may be a little goofy for you, so hold on tight, okay, when you hear this. But here's the key. You can either nag him and exploit his failures, or you can be his biggest cheerleader. You know like, what cheerleaders do? Think about what a cheerleader does. They say the most positive things in the darkest of times, like my basketball team going down in flames last night to Villanova. It was not pretty. But they say the most positive things in the darkest times. They celebrate everything and they never get negative. And they say negative things in positive ways, ladies, right? When you think about it, the team could be getting killed. I mean, slaughtered, just losing. And what are they doing? Hold on tight. I don't know why I know this. Defense, defense, hold that line. I know it sounds cheesy, but they do. Or they could say, you bunch of sissies, if you just worked off that flab that's hanging over your jersey, maybe you could catch up with that. My grandma can run faster than that and tackle that guy. But men don't thrive in that. We need praise and encouragement. See, men need that. And here's the deal with guys. Men, you know this. A man will slide down a mountain of razor blades into lemon juice to hear one person say, that was amazing. But to hear our wives say that, well, baby, how many times do you want me to go down that mountain? I'll go a thousand for you. When you give us the praise and encouragement we need. Ladies, your men are going to fail you. Your men are going to fail you. You can exploit their failures or you can praise and encourage them. Honor him where you want him to be. So here's the deal. Ladies, he will rise to the level of respect you give him. And men, she will rise to the level of value you speak over her. Men, you are the most important voice in her life besides Jesus Christ. This is the last point. We're wrapping it up. The roles in Ephesians 5 disable our sin natures and keep them from destroying our marriage. And I don't have a lot of time, but I want to say this. As pastors, we see a lot of people come in for marriage counseling. And we know this from our personal experience. See, the problem with most couples is they don't have a knowledge problem. They know this stuff. They have a rebellion problem. Just very simple. And here's the deal about Satan. He wants to divide and conquer. He wants to sneak into your marriage and say, you know, you'd really be better off somewhere else. Man, they have all those faults. He's not satisfying your needs. She's not satisfying your needs. He wants you to believe and he wants to divide and conquer. But the Lord wants to unite and conquer. Marriage is made to make us more like Jesus. 
It's one of his main ways of making us more into his image. But men, if you're apathetic and not a leader in your home, there's a problem. See, as husbands, we need to say, I'm not going to be a checked out, apathetic, insensitive, passive man who sits there and watches TV, who conquers mountains at work, but lets the devil dismantle my home. And it's the woman who says, I will not get negative and tear my family down with my attitudes and my mouth. I'm going to be a woman of God and I'm going to respect my husband. And when two of you say, we will submit to each other, God can work amazing things in your marriage. Satan wants to divide you. God wants to unite you. He wants to use the problems in your marriage. He wants to use the past and bring you closer than you ever were before. Exactly opposite of what we think. But he wants to do it. Ben, you can come up. Where are you at this morning in your marriage? Is Satan dividing your marriage? It's time to unite in Christ and come together. Over the next few weeks, we're going to give couples a time to be able to come up here and pray. That's not for today. I simply want you to begin to think, is Satan dividing our marriage? Are we uniting in Christ? Fulfill these roles. Will you pray with me?